Dodnet Rocks episode 973, with guest Neil Black. Recorded Monday, April 7th, 2014. Hey, thanks very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl and Richard, and we're here again for another hour of happiness. Hey, Richard, what's Indeed. up? Indeed. Well, you know, always adventures. By the time this show is published, I think I'll be on my... I'll be in Istanbul. How about that? I love how our intros are always about time shifting. Oh, constantly. Right? That's sort of reality. We record in one week, publish yeah. a couple of weeks later. It's it's an adventure. It's so much fun. <laughs> but it's good to be back in the studio, yes. of course. And, uh, you know... Everything's looking good here. I don't have much, uh, I don't have any complaints. No first world problems here. So, and I do have something very cool to share today. So, Uh-oh. let's. Uh oh. All right, hit me. Let's roll the music. All right, buddy, what do you got? This is, of course, the segment we call Better Know a Framework. Yeah, mm-hmm. I started this segment, and every once in a while I like to tell people what this is. I started this segment as just a way to shine a little light in a corner of the .NET framework, but we soon sort of ran out of classes and interesting things to talk about. So there's a lot of great projects going on out there, and I like to talk about them as well. Sometimes blog posts. This is a fairly new, as far as I can tell, project on CodePlex. It's zextensionmethods.codeplex.com. It's uh, Jonathan Magnan's library, extension methods library, hmm. that enhances the .NET framework in Entity Framework 6 Plus by adding over 1,500 methods to increase developers' productivity and code reliability. Wow. That's yeah. a lot. Oh, yeah. And, if, and he's actually got a link to a spreadsheet where he's categorized all of the extension methods. And, you know, they're nicely named. So, if you look at object, for example, if you Mm -hmm. follow the links, object has just in serialization, serialized binary, serialized JavaScript. Wow. Serialized JSON, serialized XML. For cloning, deep clone, shallow copy. For utility, coalesce, coalesce or default. Interesting. If not null, null if, null if equals, null (laughs) if equals any. And it goes on and on. Like, um... Uh, all the reflection stuff, like get field, get fields, get methods, get properties, get property. How would you like to just say object dot get property? Pass the name instead of doing all that reflection BS. Right. Is it just bearing reflection under the hood? Yeah, of course. That's and, really and cool. And it's source code, right? So if you don't like, you know, for example, the serialization, whatever that he's using, just put your own in, right? Nice. I mean, extension methods are nothing new, but. Here's a guy who's put together a code library that just attaches itself to your objects. And super current, right? It's like it was updated this weekend. Yeah. And I'm not sure whether it was updated or it's brand new this weekend. I'm not sure. So, but it it seems like it's only been up for seven days as of this uh, recording. But anyway, a whole bunch of EF stuff up there as well. Nice. So, um, database extensions, container extensions, there's a bunch of IO stuff, there's string extensions and miscellaneous extensions, 1500 extensions. Yowza. This is still better know a framework, right? This is just a never source of frameworks. That's exactly what it is. I love it. That's great. And if nothing else, it gets me thinking, you know what? I should just start my own extension methods framework, even if I don't use this one. There's so many little things that belong in extension methods. Right. It's just a good place to keep them. Yeah. So, there you go. Awesome. 
Know it, learn it, love it. Richard, who's talking to us? Grabbed a comment off of show 964, and that is the one we did with Scott Allen, where we talked about sort of the future of JavaScript and some of the things he was doing around there. I really appreciate Scott's take on stuff. It's a great show. And this comment comes from Tim. He says, hey, great show, fellas, and I'm glad to hear a reference to Light Switch. Yep. Because we did chat a little bit about Light Switch in the midst of all that that, uh, brouhaha around Mm -hmm, JavaScript. mm I'm currently starting up and cannot tell you how important it is to hear experts talking about the tools I'm using. I've only developed a few apps, but the transition from VB.net to jQuery was not as scary as I thought. Once you get your head around the patterns, and I would recommend the custom controls article by Joe Binder, which is the best name for a guy writing custom controls, isn't it? (laughs) Joe Binder. That's good. It must be a stage name. Sometimes I think these guys in this business have rock and roll names, you know? Yeah. David Silverlight. Really? There you go. Were you really named that? Come on. (laughs) He swears he is, though. He swears that's his last name. All right. Well, All right. Yeah, Joe Binder. He works on Knockout. It all makes sense. Yeah. So let me continue in here with yeah. uh, once you get your head around the patterns, there's certainly a lot you can accomplish. I've watched Scott's Pluralsight course on MVC and it hurt my head for three days afterwards. Mm. But when I heard him talking about promises using the bracket dot then, it was very encouraging as I use this all the time with light switch. Mm. The bottom line is I think I'm actually improving. And I'm all for making browsers more capable too, but using Light Switch and jQuery is a good way to develop simple apps for small businesses. Yeah. They are very easy to please. The app just needs to be accessible from anywhere and on every device. Hmm. When my heart rate comes down, I go back to the laptop, right click and choose add client. Right, because LightSwitch has got the whole web thing now, and they do uh, responsive design, so it'll work on a phone, work on a tablet, work on a desktop. That's right. I really need to check that out lately. Yeah, it's it's probably time for us to circle back and do a whole hour on LightSwitch. Well, and more importantly, just me personally, I haven't uh, I haven't looked at the latest version, right? And I really need to. And the ball just keeps moving forward. Yeah. And so Tim wraps up to say, I'm looking forward to the future of web development. Appreciate all of the advice. Cheers. Awesome. Well, cheers to you, Tim. Thanks so much for the great comment. And we think Scott's pretty awesome, too. That's why we brought it back on the show again. But uh, you've encouraged us to do a little more light switch. We'll see what we could do there. And a .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, just write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for iOS, Android, Windows Phone 7 and 8, and Windows 8. And those apps were built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. That covers just about everything, except BlackBerry. Right. Shh. Hey, now. <laughs> Don't say the B word. Uh, and that brings us to our guest. Neil Black is a principal program manager for the Xbox Smart Glass platform. The Xbox Smart Glass platform team delivers the Xbox Smart Glass SDK that enables developers to create Smart Glass companions, second screen experiences that can either be hosted inside the Xbox Smart Glass app or be delivered as part of a standalone Smart Glass enabled mobile application. The team also delivers the Smart Glass APIs in the Xbox Development Kit that allows developers to create Xbox games and apps that are Smart Glass enabled. Neil has worked at Microsoft for over 22 years, having worked on Office, MSN, and Bing in addition to Xbox. Welcome, Neil. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you, sir. Um, let's start off with this whole uh, Smart Glass idea and tell us just about how cool it is and what it does and why everybody should be using it. All right. So 
So, you know, it's kind of funny when we talk about smart glass, we really talk about three different things, uh, sometimes simultaneously. So smart glass itself is the underlying technology that allows us to connect devices, uh, to the Xbox. Mm. In addition, Smart Glass is an application, and this is kind of how most end users think about Smart Glass. Mm-hmm. It's the application that they go download from the Windows Store or the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store uh, to load onto their device in order to uh, use it as a remote control or second screen uh, companion to their Xbox. Yeah. And then finally, Smart Glass is the SDK itself that we build for developers so that they can extend uh, our application or their own applications with these uh, second screen, uh, with the second screen functionality. And that SDK works across all of those platforms. That's exactly right. So Windows, Windows Phone, iOS, and Android. Uh, there's a flavor of the SDK for each platform, and uh, developers can uh, pick that up and, and use it as uh, it suits their needs. Now, when you look at the Smart Glass uh, website, um, if you just, you know, Bing, Xbox, Smart Glass, you have this uh, idea that you have control at your fingertips and, your, and a remote control, in, uh, and it says, you know, control your TV. Now, that really is um, the, the television functionality inside the Xbox, right? I mean, how, for those who don't know, how does the television interact with uh, the Xbox? Does, is there a cable TV hookup, or is it purely over the Internet? So, uh, great question. So, with uh, Xbox One, we have live TV functionality that is uh, integrated into the system. So, basically, you take the HDMI out cable from your set-top box, plug it into the HDMI in on your console, and then you can watch TV through your Xbox. Got it. And through a uh, application on the console called OneGuide, uh, you can you know view your TV listings, change channels. Uh, what that actually does is IR blasts using your Kinect, uh, sends an IR blast out through your room, and then uh, those IR signals are picked up by your set-top box in order to change channels. Uh, in a future release of the Smart Glass app, we're going to be integrating the OneGuide functionality into the Xbox Smart Glass app so that on your mobile device, you'll be able to uh, change channels as well without having to bring up the one guide uh, on top of the television that you're viewing on your TV. So this is truly a multi-domain sort of SDK here. This, the smart glass technology, it covers live TV from your cable provider. It covers, you know, things like Netflix and, uh, you know, all of the, the services that come through the internet. It covers, you know, movies, that you might play through, you know, like a DVD movie or something like that, and it covers games and uh, and other media. Um, am I missing anything? I mean, uh, no, you've you pretty much got it. I'll, I'll make uh, a couple of uh, clarifications as sure. in terms of the capabilities. Yeah. So it's definitely the Smart Glass SDK is definitely about allowing uh, developers to extend their Xbox applications, whether they be games or uh, media applications, got it, uh, onto mobile devices. In terms of the TV integration. Uh, that's not really something that's part of the Smart Glass SDK. That's just something we've built into the Smart Glass application. So does that mean that uh, the Smart Glass application is the only thing that gets access to the metadata that comes off of the set-top box? 
So the metadata itself that comes off um, of doesn't come off the set top box. I see. So for from a smart glass perspective, when content is playing, mm-hmm. it's up to the uh, application to set some uh, what we call media state, which does come across through the smart glass SDK. So an applicate a, a smart glass companion knows um, things like the duration of uh, play. So, for example, if you're watching a movie on Netflix, you know uh, this is a movie that runs two hours and 30 minutes. You're currently five minutes and 47 seconds in, Mm. and you're in play mode versus pause. For things like live TV, um, you have that playhead state information, but there's no information about what is actually playing. So the name of the TV show, for example, um, because that information uh, comes out of the Xbox catalog, and currently the live TV channel information and show information is not uh, in the Xbox catalog. Well, I imagine it must be a problem of standardization as well. Right. It's there's uh, Everyone has their own way of uh, storing that information right now, and yeah. it's just not all flowing through the same systems. Yeah, and let's face it, not a lot of people are watching cable anyway. Okay, so... <laughs> You just got to throw that in there, are you? Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> it's the truth. <laughs> this for you. I know. You know, it, it, I, and this is just an aside, and, you know, it's totally editorial on my part, but my feeling is that if it weren't for Major League Sports, that Cable would be out of business. That's just my editorializing. But I, I think that's really where Cable shines, is live sporting events, and live events in general. Nobody can do it better than Cable. Well, and it, I think the other piece of this is interesting is that second screen effect that Smart Glass opens up. It's not just watching the event, but then being able to chat with your friends about it as oh, yeah. it's going on. So that brings me to the other question. I mean, Richard just brought up a scenario where you're watching a live event, you're chatting with your friends. Give us some more scenarios about the kinds of things that you can do with the Smart Glass API. Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll actually start with that particular scenario and then and talk about a few others as well. So uh, when you're talking about live events, there was a great uh, smart glass companion that launched last fall with Xbox One for the NFL app. So it was all about both uh, kind of, we think of it as a before, during, and after scenario around watching football. So before you're actually watching a game with the smart glass companion, you could do things like make picks for which games, um, which teams you think are going to win coming up this week and be able to compare how you did uh, against your friends uh, during that kind of during the game thing. As you're watching games on the Xbox, you get a whole bunch of stats and highlights about not only the game that you may be watching, but all the other games going on around the league. Um, and it was a fantastic way to track your uh, fantasy team. So all of this information is just basically uh, that metadata that we were talking about of what is, a, what is currently going on and then um, tying that into things like, hey, I have an NFL.com fantasy league set up, and because I'm an authenticated user, the NFL knows who I am and can provide information that's specific to me, and then tie that in with information about my friends and let me do those kinds of uh, comparisons um, and get you know great bragging rights as I uh, kick butt over my friends on <laughs> my picks for uh, this week's games. 
Um, as we switch to thinking about some of the uh, gaming scenarios that are enabled with smart glasses, a couple I want to touch on. One is this thing we call secret screen. Right. And the idea here is, you know, when there are games like poker is kind of a classic example of this. You know, imagine you're, you want to sit down with your friends and play uh, Texas Hold'em. Yep. When you play that on the Xbox, you have to do one of two things. You either have all of your friends sitting in their own living rooms and you play over Xbox Live, which is awesome, but you kind of miss that social connection of being in the same room with your buddies. Right. Um, with Smart Glass, what you can do is on the TV, you show the shared cards, but move your personal cards onto your own mobile device, whether that be a tablet or a phone, and then you get that, you know, again, this we call secret screen where I see my cards, but my buddy sitting next to me can't see my cards. And then we still get that in-room experience combined in with uh, the multiplayer uh, play of, of Xbox and a great use of, of second screen. Yeah, that'd be not. I mean, I would love the idea of playing Texas Hold'em on the uh, on the Xbox where the table is the Xbox and everybody's got a phone so they could see their whole cards. Exactly, exactly, yeah. right? So they don't even they could be in the same room or not in the same room, but it's going to work either way. Either way, exactly. And uh yeah, so just an awesome awesome experience. Another similar thing is what uh EA did with Madden 25. So one of the things that EA has noticed over all the years of running Madden is people conceptually tend to think of that game as an offensive game. And when it comes to defense, people are like, oh, it doesn't really matter. They kind of pick random plays. But it turns out defense is pretty key. Right. So for Madden 25, EA built something they call Coach Glass, where they turned your smart glass device into a defensive play picker. And so mining all of the data, the thousands and thousands of plays that have happened, they can deliver onto your mobile device the best defensive plays that fit the scenario that you're in right now. And that can be based on, you know, the two teams that are on the field, the actual players who are in the huddle, the certain conditions, you know, there's two minutes left until the half, you're down by three points, what do you do here? Um, and now people can make much more intelligent uh, defensive play calls, and it makes for just a much better game. Well, I think one of the key parts about this, as soon as you get into multiplayer games, is if you're sharing a monitor like you usually are, I mean, even in Halo one-on-one, you can see where the other guy is all the time. Like, just being able to have something you can keep secret as part of multiplayer gaming is compelling. Yeah, exactly. And that, and that Madden scenario is, is exactly hits that uh, right on the head where... Right. If I'm sitting on the couch with my buddy, I don't want him to see even the selection of options that would come up on the screen right. and, you know, have him have an idea of what I might be doing. This way, it's all private to me and I can make uh, better decisions and, and have a, a much more compelling gameplay. So my daughter's got me an Xbox One for Christmas and it had uh, Dead Rising 3. Yeah. Which, and I'm not a big zombie game player. But uh, I played it for a while, and when you get to the part where the smart glass kicks in, where your phone becomes the phone in the game, right? that just, it grabbed me. It was so compelling. Wasn't that something that you've been talking about for a while, Richard, as, some, as a wish list feature, where your phone was interactive with the game? 
Absolutely. And I think the best example I've ever seen as so far has been this dead rising effect where there's a guy locked in a security building somewhere who's basically passing you hints through your phone about what to do next while you're playing the game. Yeah, what uh, Capcom did with Dead Rising 3 and Smart Glass is absolutely amazing, right? So they built it right into the storyline of the game, and it makes it that much more compelling because it's just part of the gameplay. And they extended things so there are certain missions that you play that are only available when you're using Smart Glass. Right. And there are achievements that are tied to Smart Glass, so it really... it pulls you further into the gameplay. It extends your gameplay. Um, they really, by thinking it through from the time they started conceptualizing the game as to how they would use Smart Glass, uh, they were able to develop something that is just very tightly integrated into the game and doesn't feel like an add-on. Well, and it's a creepy game at the best of times. Like, you don't play this game late at night. It'll just scare the snot out of you. But when <laughs> right. your phone turns into this other phone and starts doing yep. these things, the experience is very shocking. Yeah, super, super compelling. Yeah. Hmm. Are, are there other games like that that have really taken advantage to make it sort of part of the experience like that? Yeah, so another great example is, uh, again, with EA and what they did with Plants vs. Zombies. So if you're familiar with Plants vs. Zombies as kind of a casual game on mobile devices, you control these plants that are defending gardens against these zombies that uh, it's sort of a tower defense style game. Yeah. For uh, Xbox One, EA released the game uh, about a month ago called Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare, where they sort of fused the Plants vs. Zombies universe with Battlefield. And now you have your uh, plants armed with all kinds of crazy uh, guns and weapons, and they're Again, fighting the zombies, but now as a third-person shooter. And what they did was <laughs> built something that uh, we call one-and-a-half player. So they built a feature in Smart Glass called Boss Mode, where while you're playing uh, a round of uh, Garden Warfare, another player can be using Smart Glass, and they get an overhead view of the garden that you're defending, where the zombies are coming from, and they get their own mini game to play. So I play this all the time with my nine-year-old daughter. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. With, with a surface, and she gets these little uh, sun uh, pieces of sunshine that fall down, and as she taps on those, she accumulates points, and then she can use those points to send me health into the game or recharge my character or even send in uh, extra... Uh, firepower to help defeat the zombies. And so it's super cool. So she's playing along with the game, which is why we call it one and a half player. She's right. not a second player in the game, but is kind of assisting with gameplay. I just like the idea that yeah, your, your kid gets to be part of your game. Exactly, right? And picking up an Xbox controller for her and playing the game is a little complicated, sure. but using it on a mobile device is totally second nature to her. Yeah, right. And not directly interfering with your game per se, you can actually contribute. It's That's a really neat dynamic. Like that to me is a whole other level of gameplay again past this. I mean, we, I think we've sort of defined three categories here. You've got the interacting with others uh, so that you can, you know, bring more people into an experience with us, television or gaming. You've got the keeping data secret, which I think is kind of cool for amplifying game as well. 
And then you've got this immersive effect that it's an extension of the game. And now bringing other players or, you know, younger players into a game or making an additional contribution to the game. That's four. That's neat. Yeah, super, super stuff. I guess, we, you know, the, the challenge here then is so far all the apps I, we've really talked about, it seems to be big organizations. Is it just Electronic Arts who gets to write Smart Glass apps? No, actually, um, we have two flavors of our Smart Glass SDK, and they're available for anybody who is building uh, titles for the Xbox. So the, the two flavors of our SDK are what we call our hosted companion SDK, and all right. the examples that we've talked about up till now have been uh, that flavor. So the hosted companion SDK is basically a JavaScript library that you can use to build an HTML5 web app, and then you basically provide the URL to your web app into uh, into our ingestion system. And when a user runs the Smart Glass app, the Xbox Smart Glass app, the Microsoft publishes, and they're playing your game, they see that there's the second screen companion available. They click on it, and a web control gets uh, launched inside the Smart Glass app, and your content runs inside that web control. Nice. And then the JavaScript library gives you the capabilities to connect to the console. There's a bi-directional messaging pipe where you have um, a 1K JSON packet that you can send back and forth to your title to uh, pass information as necessary. You get all of the uh, what we call command and control, so you can uh, do A, B, X, Y, up, down, left, right buttons uh, to simulate a controller. You can do text input, all of those kinds of things. And then the second flavor of uh, SDK is a new SDK that we just published for the first time uh, last month. We call our Smart Glass Native SDK. And this is used for people who already have their own mobile application or want to build their own mobile applications, but make those Smart Glass enabled and give them that same set of functionality of being able to connect to the console and control their title. And there are right now two examples uh, that have been published with the native SDK. Uh, the first is Battlefield, which was kind of our launch partner uh, last fall. We worked with um, the team at DICE, uh, which is an EA studio, to build uh, Battlefield. It's kind of ironic, very similar functionality to, um, to what we now see with Plants vs. Zombies. And in fact, there's even some shared code there <laughs> uh, where in a multiplayer battlefield fight, right? Not something I want to pull my nine-year-old daughter into, uh, but in that multiplayer fight, you get the overhead view of the map that you're on, where you are and your squad mates are on, and you can use it for things like setting rally points and really kind of plotting out your strategy. And they've built that into their already existing battle log app uh, which they produce on iOS and Android. And they plugged in the Smart Glass libraries. It gave them their connection to Xbox One, uh, and they were able to uh, build this functionality in. And in fact, what they did was, because they already had this, um, in this multiplayer fight where you get the overhead map view, they had implemented that as HTML5. They actually host the same web control that's inside the Smart Glass app, they just plopped that into their own app, and they only had to write that uh, HTML5 code effectively once, and they get to reuse it across platforms. And then on Windows and Windows Phone, where they don't have a battle log app yet, they host that battle screen code inside our Smart Glass app. Nice. So whatever platform you're playing on, you get that same functionality. 
And then the uh, newest version of the Smart Glass native SDK in terms of published apps uh, is Metal Gear Solid uh, Ground Zeroes, which just published uh, about three weeks ago. And they also have uh, a mobile application on uh, iOS and Android uh, using the native SDK. Any games that aren't violent? <laughs> well, you know, Xbox One is uh, catering right now to that core audience. So uh, Plants vs. Zombies, while may sound violent, is uh, very much uh, kind of tongue-in-cheek. It's in the cute violent category. So in the, Exactly. <laughs> Cartoon violence. Exactly. Cartoon violence. Yeah. And there's always the racing games. And, like, there's different categories of games, without a doubt. But we are early days in the Xbox One at this point. Well, Richard, you know what time it is? Oh, it must be that happy time again. That's right. It's time to cash in our zombie health points with a smart glass companion and wipe out all traces of intelligent conversation. (laughs) (laughs) It's time in the show to give away a Telerik DevCraft Complete collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who today's winner is... Let me tell you about the Telerik platform. Create compelling app experiences across any screen with the Telerik platform. Telerik's end-to-end platform uniquely combines industry-leading UI tools with cloud services to simplify the entire app development lifecycle. Telerik offers everything .NET developers need to build quality apps faster. Try it for free at Telerik.com platform. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. Absolutely. So who's our winner today? Today's winner is Monica Maxwell. Congratulations, Monica. Golf clap for you. Golf clap for Monica. She just won the DevCraft Complete collection. That's just about everything Telerik does in one box. And uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. And uh, every show we give away stuff from our sponsors, and every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology to one lucky member. And we like to ask our guests on every show, Neil, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, right now, like let's go shopping, what would you buy? Oh, awesome question. (laughs) What toy don't you have? (laughs) (laughs) Right. And so 10 Xbox Ones? No. Yeah, there you Um, go. I, it's worth a try just for all the connects. Yeah, exactly, right? Uh, I think I would go for uh, a really massive uh, TV right now. Ooh. Do you like the 4Ks? Have you looked at those? You know, I've looked at them just a little bit. It's one of those things where um, it's kind of the early days, not enough yeah. content for them just yet. Um, but I think uh, it's an interesting space. How about one of those close-throw projectors? They're short throw projectors that do like 15 foot screens. In oh, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a big screen for you. Yeah, exactly. I've tried to play video games on really big screens. It's hard. Like, it is tough. You need to take in a whole screen and the screen wraps around you like that. It's tough to deal with. Yeah. Yeah, you've got to have the right, right layout, right space to uh, sit in front of those really massive screens. Mm. Samsung has an awesome 108 inch screen that they announced at CES. Yeah. But you got to have the right wow. space for it. You kind of blow out the five grand budget, too, there. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> Just a little bit. <laughs> well, I was at Build last week, and they had it. There was a number of those 85-inch touchscreens running around. Those are not inexpensive toys. They are not. No doubt. 
So uh, one of our good friends at uh, Vertigo Software, Scott Stanfield, uh, told us about HBO Go, an app that his company was building for Smart Glass. What's that all about? Yeah, so on Xbox 360, um, with the HBO Go app, uh, what they've done is they took the last season of Game of Thrones, so season three, and they took a, a whole bunch of information that HBO had about uh, the Game of Thrones series. And if you watch uh, that series, you know, totally awesome show, super compelling, but just massively complicated in terms of the characters and the backstory around those characters. So what they did was integrate that into uh, the HBO uh, Go app and Smart Glass so that as you're uh, watching Game of Thrones Season 3 on your Xbox 360, you run the Smart Glass app, and because of this information, this what we call now playing information, your Smart Glass device knows you're running the HBO Go app, you're watching Game of Thrones Season 3, Episode 4, and you're six minutes in, and they can tell you things about what's happening right now, you know, characters that are on the screen, deep backstory about how those characters connect with one another. Um, I love this show, and I would watch it and then use Smart Glass, and you'd see some character, and you would you know, get extra information on it and find out that, oh, this is a character that actually appeared in season one for like two minutes, and you thought it was just a totally random person. Here's how they actually play into the story. So it was uh, another way to just use Smart Glass to... Uh, gather deeper engagement and get people uh, hooked on your content. Geez, they ought to invent this for college courses. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that just, be great? You know, wait a minute, hold on, pause. You know, what was that formula you just spat out? Oh, yeah, I think I remember that from last year. Hang on a second, let me look that up. Okay, resume. Yeah. <laughs> right? So it was a, you know, this was a great example where um, with very little work, on the part of HBO, uh, leveraging Smart Glass, like they basically used a couple of APIs that let them find out what content is playing and what the playhead state was and the location. And then they already have a bunch of deep data, and they just tied those two things together. Yeah. So it was a really simple way for them to take content, which they've actually also published to the web in kind of a static way. And you can go as a user, you can go to their website and dig through all of this content. But when it comes directly to you in sync with the program, it makes it that much more compelling. Very cool. Well, and yeah, George Martin's that, that story, he was really trying to make something as elaborate and it arguably has as elaborate as Lord of the Rings, right? Like it is, it is a massively complex epic. But there's a lot. I would also think shows like Lost, like any of these stories that that ultimately grew complicated plot lines and and a big following, could really benefit from some kind of tool to tie you into it deeper, so you understand more about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think we'll see more and more of that uh, as we move forward. People are starting to kind of just dip their toe in the water um, in what they can do with. Uh, taking advantage of multiple screens and uh, how to bring all that stuff together in a compelling way. Yeah. It, 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 it is trans. This is a way to keep transform television to, to take it to the level that, that actually makes sense for the 21st century. So one thing that's occurring to me is that, you know, you have content that was built 
to be viewed alone, you know, sort of like Game of Thrones, you know, this sort of content that was meant to be viewed without a second screen. Adding the second screen sort of allows you to sort of pause it and go deeper. And I get that. But do you see content being created, you know, and by content, I mean stories, I mean television or drama or movies or, you know, stories, story content, video content that is created with the second screen in mind in other not just in mind but designed into it you know like a game is designed with a second screen but actually having content built having video and story content built with the second screen in mind yeah there's definitely some stuff that some of the television studios are starting to think about we haven't seen anything that has gotten uh produced and uh released yet but people are starting to noodle on this idea of okay i have this great technology how can i uh wrap a storyline around it and build something that really feels well-connected and holistic. Yeah. Um, and not just because, you know, one of the things that you need to be careful about when you provide all this great second screen content is you not distract from the story you're telling on the main screen. Right. Well, you're getting that with the stories that weren't meant to have a second screen. You're getting distracted anyway. So, you know, but by giving the, the director and the producer the tool you give them control of, you know, when that distraction happens and for what reason. And it can actually be for the purpose of telling the story, not for the purpose of let's distract the user with, you know, facts or advertising or whatever. Exactly, exactly. And uh, and the tools are there for them to do it in a way that is not distracting at all. Mm. Um, even to the point of you can provide someone with extra information on the second screen and if they decide to to dig into that information, you can have it automatically pause what's going on on the main screen and then, you know, show them a video playing locally on their tablet or let them dig into that backstory. And once they're ready to re-engage with the main story, it just starts playing. Yeah, I, I, I still, I see that as still like a an add-on thing. I'm actually thinking of characters talking to each other across double, across these screens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like yeah. use it as part right. of the story. Yeah. Totally something uh, that, that the technology enables. Um, we just haven't seen anyone start to do that just yet. Uh, but very good use of the tech. Mm, interesting idea, Carl. All right, I'm hooked. I want to do this. How do I get started? Neil, what do I got to download? Right. Where do I got to go? Yeah. So uh, as an Xbox developer, you have access to what we call the Game Development Network, or GDN. And on GDN, where we publish all the Xbox software, uh, we publish the Smart Glass SDK, uh, both versions, the hosted SDK, uh, um, as well as the native SDK. Right. And you just download those uh, to your PC, and you can start the development process. Uh, the hosted companion SDK comes with a tool we call Smart Glass Studio. It's sort of a way to bootstrap your effort. It's basically... Uh, some tooling wrapped around the web control that your content runs in. So you right. can quickly build your content, see how it works, start testing things out. Um, and then when you're ready to uh, publish to your sandbox, which is sort of your isolated development environment for the Xbox, you can use the Smart Glass app, the actual retail published version of that app, point it at your sandbox and see how things run inside uh, the actual application. And then, of course, if you're doing native SDK development, you're just building your own mobile app and you uh, develop that as you normally would, just plugging in these libraries. 
Nice. And can I work in in other mobile libraries like Unity and the and the like? Yeah. So um, you can take things like Unity, Scaleform, any of the the middleware uh, pieces that allow you to do great 3D graphics that will run uh, with things like Unity will run cross-platform, and you can integrate those in with Smart Glass. Um, and then as we move forward, we'll look at ways to make that integration a little bit uh, more seamless and, and a little more tightly integrated. Sure. What does it take to become a registered Xbox developer? So uh, you work through Microsoft, and there's uh, sort of two paths. There's the, the path that we've had for a while now where we work with uh, large game developers right. um, and a new program we call uh, ID at Xbox, which is the uh, independent developer program. Um, and that's just starting yeah. to ramp up. Um, that's a great program where we're going to see all kinds of amazing titles coming from some of the, the uh, smaller indie developers um, and smart glasses available for them as well. Nice. And just looking at the uh, the ID at Xbox site here, and I'll include a link on the show notes, you sign up for this, you are an Xbox developer, as well as Connect and Game Score challenges and Smart Glass. So it's all one thing, really. You can, you can get involved in the whole thing. Right. So, Neil, we briefly talked about the fact that there's the native development model, and, it's a, and then there's also a web development model. Right. If I, if I remember correctly? You do. It sounds like most people are going to go with the web development model just because it's kind of safe and simple and it's known tools. Well, so the way that we think about it is we sort of have two SDKs, as we've talked about, which enable three different models, right. and there are kind of pros and cons to each. So I sort of, as I think about it, I think of there being a spectrum. And on one side of the spectrum is this web development model with what we call the hosted companion SDK. You write an HTML5 and JavaScript web application. It's hosted inside the Smart Glass app that Microsoft publishes. Right. The upside to that is it's fast development to implement in HTML5 and JavaScript. It more or less works cross-platform on all these devices, Windows, Windows Phone, iOS, and Android. Yeah. Obviously, you need to keep in mind things like CSS and doing the right layout for the form factor that you're on and all the browsers on those different platforms work slightly differently, but more or less you uh, have a simple path to cross-platform development. At the other end of the spectrum, you have the native SDK. You build a mobile application separately for each platform that you want to support. You use the native language on that, so Java on Android, uh, Objective-C on iOS, WinRT on Windows and Windows Phone. And all of everything that you do uh, is in your application. All the UI rendering uh, is in your hands. Right. In between those two, we have a hybrid model. And this is what I talked about that uh, Battlefield did, where they wrote a mobile application, a native mobile application, for most of what their app did. But when they wanted to do their second screen functionality, they dropped in the web control and used the HTML and JavaScript uh, web development side to build their second screen implementation. So they could build that once and run it cross-platform uh, instead of doing specific implementations for each platform. 
I got to think the other advantage when you go to the web approach is that you can update your app pretty much whenever you want. It's sitting in a wrapper that doesn't need to be changed. When you go native, you've got to submit each of those apps to their respective app stores. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, another great advantage of, of the web model. No yeah. submission to the stores, update whenever you want. Um, you can instrument your code, figure out what features users are using and which ones they're not and change the functionality, add new functionality, whatever makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I think it's an interesting discussion as to how you want to do that thing. There's a difference between what they did in Dead Rising 3, where you really have to build your own app, versus a little more the, the second screen effect against the TV app or against the show app, where you could have a little more flexibility. You don't need to control the device quite so thoroughly. Right, right. Well, guys, I guess that's the show. I think you're right. Neil, thanks very much. This looks great, and I bet uh, we've lit a fire under a lot of developers today. Awesome. I sure hope so. Excellent. Thanks. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a